Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 9, The Battle of the Bastards is over, but we're just getting started here on the Game of Thrones Feedback Show here on Post Show Recaps. And now, here are the two guys who rarely do anything in a straight line, zigzagging through life. I'm Rob Sisterino. Here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I have been spending the last few days thinking a lot about where in life I should have zigged where I zagged. <laughs> yes. But rarely have we done anything in a straight line. No, 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 no. Well, it's just like a lot of choices that have been made that are regrettable or like, could that have been better? Should I have zagged there? Yeah, maybe oh, I wouldn't have gotten maybe I wouldn't have gotten shot with an arrow if I had just done this one thing, the proverbial arrow, but what are you going to do? Here yes. we are, Rob. Here we are. We are on the precipice of the highly anticipated Game of Thrones finale this Sunday night. Everybody, the winds of winter! <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's here. Everybody is on pins and Arya's swords, ready to go for the big finale. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's all very exciting. Obviously, we are one episode away from being done with Game of Thrones Season 6. So whatever they've got in store better be pretty big. I am expecting it's going to be very big. But it's going to be the last Game of Thrones for a good little while. Uh, so that off-season is always very long. So before we even start thinking about that <laughs> The finale, long night is coming. The long night is coming. Before we even think about the long night, can we just like take an episode here, a podcast here, to really cherish what may, well, a lot of people are calling the best episode of Game of Thrones of all time uh, this past episode, Battle of the Bastards. We started off on kind of a morbid note here, but the truth is that was some really phenomenal television. Yeah, we'll do a slow clap. It is known. It is known. Wonderful hour of television. So good. That we got so to good. see. So good. And now here we are. And uh, potentially, you know, it could be a letdown. Could be. I, I don't know how you go up from there. It seems like no matter what they do, it's going to be feels like that the big battles have been fought last week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but then again, I think that we didn't we didn't go into last week thinking that like they would also somehow figure out how to tie up Danny's you know big war in Meereen in the same episode as Battle of the Bastards. Right. So they've pulled some surprises on us this season. No one walked into this season thinking they were going to kill Hodor. Uh, so like they've done a lot this year that has been really kind of surprising and big. I think that. Um, I think when you're looking at like the grand total of all of the episodes this season, there have been some really great episodes. There have been some slow ones as well. But I think that the really big moments have been extraordinarily massive and surprising. And I think that the finale has that potential to live up to the best of this season. But as we both know, as people who follow the show closely, that the book on Game of Thrones is a big moment in the episode prior to the finale. And then for the most part, maybe outside of killing Jon Snow, the show is sort of just tying things up in the finale and or setting the stage for next season, often in the finale. That is often the tradition. That is absolutely, typically, the way things go. Like, you you lose Ned Stark's head in the second-to-last episode of season one. Blackwater happens in the penultimate episode of season two. 
The Red Wedding is the penultimate of season three. The Watchers on the Wall is season four. Uh, so, like, this is this is definitely the pattern. For what it's worth, you know, I've been doing a bunch of interviews with cast members and crew members from Game of Thrones for Hollywood Reporter. I don't know if anyone knew that. I think that that's the first time I've said this on this podcast. Uh, and, and I got and I, got I thought you were saying that you didn't know if the cast members that you were talking no. to knew that that was no. how the seasons went. No, 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 no. I'm just being a dork. Uh, but I did get a chance to talk to Liam Cunningham, who plays Davos Seaworth, this week about Battle of the Bastards. And one of the things that I asked him was to kind of set up where we're going in the finale i asked that question to a lot of people and basically no one wants to say anything because i think then they will get shot by an archer who may or may not be ramsey bolton if they say too much but liam cunningham basically said and take it for what it's worth it's their job to hype up the show but he expressly acknowledged that pattern that very often we build up to a very big episode nine and then the final episode is kind of recapping the season that's just passed and sort of setting the stage for what's coming up next but he said that this finale is going to be epic. Lots of very big things happen, and it's not going to be like finales in the past. We can hold Liam Cunningham up to the fire if he's wrong on Sunday night. But that is what he told me. All right. So let's just set the stage here. Okay, so we are here on our feedback show. You got some book club coming? We got some book club coming. Yeah, as soon as you and I are done recording this feedback show, I will be hopping on with Terry Schwartz like five minutes later. Okay, looking forward to that. And then Josh and I will be live on Sunday night, maybe me even Monday morning, depending <laughs> on where you are in the world, because we have a, a lot to get through on Sunday night. Uh, Josh has a number of articles to file. I am also going to be getting into the Sunday night big brother of it all over on Rob has a podcast. So probably sometime, maybe midnight, maybe 1230 a.m. Eastern time Monday. So that no is matter the long what, night. The long yeah. night is almost the long night is coming no matter yeah. what. If you hey, if you're going to stay up late, we'll be live. If you're going to go to work on Monday morning or whatever you do on Monday morning, there's going to be a Game of Thrones finale podcast waiting for you from Josh and I breaking down the finale. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Okay. Of course, don't miss any of that. When you subscribe to our Game of Thrones podcast feed, go to postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T iTunes or for everything we're doing here on Post Show Recaps, postshowrecaps.com. .com. All right, Josh, so where do you want to begin this discussion as we look back at the Battle of the Bastards? I think to the surprise of nobody, we are going to be just like talking through Battle of the Bastards, I would guess, for the vast majority of this podcast. Okay, that's uh, fun. So various elements that we will be able to talk about, even Varus elements, perhaps. <laughs> uh, probably not any Varus elements. How great would this episode have been if there was just even a little bit of Varus? Would that have tipped the scales? Would that have made this the best episode of all time for sure? I mean, I, I don't know if it was a Varus away. I mean, when we're sort of comparing it to some of the other great episodes, I don't think. Where do you really... think it lands? Where does it land for you? It's I'm hard curious. because I haven't rewatched any of them. I mean, think that if you want to go back and take a look at uh, Reigns of Castamere and uh, a couple of the other Blackwater, I feel like Blackwater. I really did love uh, all of that. Uh, this is it's tough it, it's very it's very i don't have a episode ranking list and i'm not sure if you do off the top of your head yeah i do i did i did this for once again the hollywood reporter mm-hmm. uh i have done my episode rankings there and i was asked to revise them this week in anticipation of the finale so this is the second to last revising that i will be doing of my episode rankings. Oh, see, i thought you just ranked the seasons i didn't know that you released your new episode rankings every every episode every single one wow um and i put battle of the bastards at number two overall okay 
I think that, that I think that you know I think Reigns of Castamere is just for me an untouchable episode. But I think when you're just looking at the scale of what they accomplished here in Battle of the Bastards, even if it's not like your favorite episode of Game of Thrones, which I could totally understand, um, I think that you just you have to take a step back and just marvel at the technical achievement of this episode, um, the pacing of the battle, what they went through physically in order to shoot this thing. There's just never been anything like this outside of you know maybe like Band of Brothers on television and even then really the closest analog that a lot of people have been saying is saving private ryan it just felt completely unlike anything you had ever seen on tv and i think that has to score it at least top five status and for me i put it as number two okay if you're curious to know all 59 of josh's rankings including the 59th best episode of game of thrones you could read that all at thr.com slash game of thrones all right uh i feel like the uh i do love talking about the, the worst ones also uh that's that's very fun but I don't want to get too distracted here today. There's not a lot of terrible ones. There's like five that are just like, we could forget those forever. Sure. Uh, But there's very few and far between, at least for me. Everyone knows that I like liking things, as Stephen Fishbeck likes to say. All right. So let's get into this. Let's talk about this. Let's start with uh, Colby has a voicemail for us about the Battle of the Bastards. This is a quick voicemail from Colby. Not Terry Colby? Not Terry Colby. I only know one way to come at him, and that's full tilt. Okay, that's it. That's literally it. But we didn't even talk about the full tilt, and I thought the full tilt thing was great. He's gone full (laughs) tilt. (laughs) It made me very happy when I saw that. Maybe that impacted uh, my enjoyment of the episode a little bit to get the evolution of strategy shout out from Game of Thrones. Yeah, so yeah, Jon Snow really went for it. He went full tilt. He went full snow. He went full Stark out there. (laughs) He really did. I mean, full Stark should be a thing. You never want to go full Stark. (laughs) Rarely Uh, do you want to go full Stark. All right, well, speaking of talking about full Stark, because John really did, he really went all out Jon Snow in this episode, for better and often for worse. We gave him a lot of crap on the live show. This is from Gons from Charlotte, who is wondering if maybe we want to cut John some slack. Hey, Rob and Josh, Gons from Charlotte. And, you know, Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. I think you guys are being a little too hard on John. You know, they had the plan. They had it laid out. Then Ramsey shows him his brother tied up. And then Ramsey lets Rickon run towards John. I mean, what else is John supposed to do? Instinct takes over. You know, he's trying to save his brother. What if it was one of your brothers out there? I'm sure you would have ditched the carefully planned battle plan that you had to try and save him. Um, that being said, Starks have to think long and hard about John being a battle commander going forward. Um, I mean, I'm wondering if uh, in the next episode we'll see Davos giving John a real good talking to about uh, battle strategies and, you know, uh, keeping with uh, plans and orders. Anyway, I just wanted to let you guys know that. Be a little easier on John. And I'm out. Take care, guys. Okay. All right. Well, not for nothing, but Gons is telling us to go easy on John. And then it's like, but John shouldn't be in charge of anything. <laughs> so, Gons, you're not exactly, you know, giving him a pass. Yeah. Either. I mean, for Sansa, that she told John, she said, hey, Rickon is, is gone. You know, he's not, we're not going to get our brother back. He's not going to let us get him back. So, she really did give John a lot of warnings. She didn't give him a warning. Littlefinger was coming uh, at the Knights of the Vale. But that's another story. But Sansa did seem like she was the one who, you know, was trying to say to him, like, look, get this out of your head. There's no chance that we can get him back. So he should have been ready. And don't do what he wants you to do. 
Yeah, no, like she like straight up said, he's going to lay a trap. Don't fall into the trap. Whatever you do, do not oh, fall into Ramsey's trap. Oh, you think it's so obvious. You think I don't know anything. You know nothing. You think, you think, you I think know you're nothing. better than I am, Sansa. Yeah. And perhaps you should lead the battle. No, that's not it. So poor Jon Snow. So yeah, he was uh, really went uh, full tilt into Ramsey's plan. As far as that, should Jon Snow listen to Davos? Josh, that I know that you have a better recollection of this than I do, but you know, what are Davos's credentials as a military commander? I mean, it's it's more that he's a loyal guy. He is right. a, a dutiful soldier. He has you know strong insights into things. I think he understands people pretty well. Uh, but it was Stannis who's the great military. Yeah, he's commander. a pirate. He's a pirate. He's an onion knight. Yeah. He's great with onions. <laughs> I, he went to Blackwater, certainly. Yes, he yes. went there, but it wasn't a land attack, right? You know, he helped out with the siege at Storm's End. Like, he's done, you know, he's seen his fair share of stuff. Davos has been through it for sure. Mm-hmm. But Davos isn't like this incredible military commander. He is not a legendary military commander. He's just a man with some common sense. But even Davos, you know, he has that line in the episode where he's like, we may as well be back here uh, shitting ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very yeah. scatological in this episode, <laughs> he he did go with Stannis to go kill all the wildlings uh, right. up in the north. So right. that's, like, that's, know, that's one his, battle. That's his idea. So like he's had moments like that. But like in this episode, he charges into it. And it's the moment when he and the rest of everybody charge in that, you know, small John Umber brings his people out and they hoo 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 them into the circle. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, bad on Davos as well. I don't really know who is the ideal person to be the military commander here in the Stark army. Do you have any solid suggestion? No, I don't think that they have anybody. Tormund? Would have been great if the Blackfish hadn't died. Mm, That would have been good. Yeah, they don't really have that person there. I mean... They have they have Littlefinger, who's a clever guy, but I wouldn't really call him a great military leader by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, although he probably wouldn't be worse than what they have. Yeah, probably wouldn't be worse than what we have. All right, let's talk about Littlefinger for a second. Let's take this voicemail from John Santucci, who wants to know about the future of Littlefinger. Hi, Robin Josh. This is John Santucci from Chicago. I'd like to talk about everyone's favorite brothel owner turned master manipulator, Lord Baelish. And whether or not the smirking Lord Protector of the Vale and recent hero of the Battle of Winterfell is on a redemption story arc. Let's remember that Littlefinger is primarily responsible for much of the misery of the Starks. He convinced Lady Arryn to poison her husband, which led to King Robert appointing Ned as Hand of the King, which prompted their location to King's Landing, and through the City Watch betrayed Ned Stark to the Lannisters. His other deeds include throwing his wife of one day out the moon door. Tell me, is it possible for someone as oily as Littlefinger to find redemption, or is he still high up on the draft board? Thanks. Love the show. No so redemption. No redemption. <laughs> You're completely out on redemption. How could you redeem Littlefinger, that he's been the ultimate villain, the person pulling all of these puppet strings throughout these six seasons of this show? How are you going to turn it around that, well, it turned out he was kind of a good guy after well, all? Well, they've, they've started turning it around on Sandor Clegane, and the first memorable thing that the Hound does is murder a child. You know, Jamie Lannister is somebody we like these days, and he pushed Bran Stark out a window in the first episode. That's kind of Game of Thrones' bread and butter, is taking somebody who seems one way at first and then turning them into something completely different. Right. The question is, is, is that just like too much to ask for 
with Littlefinger is you know is yes. the is the chaos that he has ravaged upon this world that he has set upon the land is that too much to forget? One of my favorite authors and uh, podcasters and all around guys is Chuck Klosterman, uh, who describes a villain as the person who knows the most but does the least. And in the case of the Hound and people like that, you know, the guy is not really a rocket scientist uh, when it comes to it. You know, he's just sort of a guy that this is all he knows. Whereas Littlefinger knows all the information the whole way through. He knows the consequences of all of his actions and he does them anyway. And not for love or unless you say, okay, well, for the love of Catelyn or something that's that's a a bad motivator. Super delusional. Right. Yeah. Right. He wants the power. He wants the Iron Throne just for his own greed. I think that's why he is the ultimate villain of the story. Okay, so then that should have us at the edge of our seats right now. That that comment from you, he's the ultimate villain of the story. That guy is sitting right at the heart of the storyline of who may or may not be the ultimate hero of the story. Jon Snow just won back Winterfell, and now this guy who we really ought to not trust very much at all is hanging out nearby. How do you see these two stories intersecting? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what Littlefinger has to say about who should be running Winterfell. Obviously, he's going to say that Sansa is the person who should be in charge. And does he want to possibly marry Sansa to sort of stake his claim to what's going on in the North? It's interesting. We don't know what his next move is. We've known for a while that he sort of had his eyes set on the North, but we didn't know how that was going to ultimately get him the Iron Throne. What's great about this, too, is, I mean, we've spent a decent amount of time talking about how Jon Snow was acting real Ned Stark in this episode. You know, just very headstrong, think later, act first. And we remember the last time that Ned Stark hung out with Littlefinger. That was pretty much the last time Ned Stark did anything. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, we're kind of getting maybe getting that dynamic back on the show a little bit. You know, once we're starting to kind of close the loop on Game of Thrones as we're coming closer and closer to a finale here to have Littlefinger orbiting the same space as a Ned Stark type of character, I think could be pretty compelling. I think that could be pretty fun to see. But I think a pretty interesting wrinkle here is that we have all these characters in the North who are starting to realize the threat of the Whites and the White Walkers and the Night's King and everything that's going on beyond the wall. Littlefinger, to our knowledge, really has not been involved with that. He's not thinking about that. He doesn't care about that. He wants to acquire the North as part of a movement to ultimately get himself to the Iron Throne, presumably. How do you think that Littlefinger reacts to that news of, no, we are very preoccupied here with what's going on with the undead coming down here to kill us? It makes me very eager for the White Walkers to invade Westeros so we could see the scene where Littlefinger tries to negotiate with the Night King Mm -hmm. uh, and then just gets like stabbed in the face uh, by the Night King immediately. That would not go well. Uh, And I just think that that would be a great scene. It'd be like the the scene in Die Hard where the guy is like, you know, like the scummy guy who works at the building. (laughs) (laughs) Night King! Booby! I'm your guy! Right. It'd be very fun. (laughs) That would be very funny. Uh, But I don't know. I don't know how he reacts. I mean, listen, we haven't really seen great reactions to people finding out that Jon Snow died and came back to life. Like, no one's been incredulous about that yet. So is Littlefinger going to be the skeptical guy in this storyline? Like, 
this guy died, really? And now he's back to life? I don't know about that. There's White Walkers coming our way? I don't know about that. You know, just like to get that voice in the mix might be fun. Yeah, like when we went to uh, Sam's house. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Except hopefully, what? Yeah. Except hopefully, better than that. Yeah. Hopefully, better than that. So then, for Littlefinger, I think that uh, hopefully we find out a little bit more what his motivation is in this finale on Sunday. That would be great uh, because you know it's been Littlefinger light this season. The Littlefinger we've gotten has been great, uh, but it's been very, very few and far between. And it was a pretty light season five for him as well, or at the very least, he kind of bowed out. Early, It had been, I think, a six-episode spread between his last appearance in season five and his first in season six. And then he was really not here very much at all in season six. So it would be good. It would be good to really check in with Littlefinger and really see where his head is at, or at least start to get a sense of what he's looking at long-term, specifically in this finale, especially now that Ramsey Bolton is gone and we're looking for that new human face of evil. Let's stick on Littlefinger for another second. This is a voicemail from Jack from Maryland. Hey, Robin, Josh, it's Jack from Maryland, and I got one one more question for you this week, and it's about Littlefinger. Do you think there's any chance that Littlefinger could have showed up later to the battle than he could have, knowing that Jon's forces would be depleted and that he would end the battle with more men? This would necessitate a reason for him to stick around and give him a lot of power going into this odd situation that's going to play out between him, Sansa, and Jon at Winterfell. Let me know what you guys think. Thanks. What do you, what do you think about that? Littlefinger, who always has a plan. His backup plans have backup plans. Is it possible that Littlefinger is showing up at like the, you know, not even the 11th hour. It's like 1148 when he shows up. It's 12 minutes until Armageddon for the Stark army. And even Ramsey says their army is destroyed. Granted, Ramsey's army is destroyed as well. But Littlefinger's forces, they're the healthiest of the lot. You know, this is a thing that is talked about quite a bit in Game of Thrones where it's sort of like, okay, let your enemies attack each other and then you can come in and sort of be the person who takes them out. A little bit of the risk strategy in play. I just don't know how Littlefinger would have been able to time all of this in terms of when he would have to leave the Vale. It wasn't like that he was sort of just like hiding out at Moat Kaelin, waiting for the word, okay, the battle started, all right, uh, or the battle's going to be tomorrow. Everybody, let's leave now so we get there exactly when it just seems like they got there when they got there i don't know how necessarily they would have had all of the information to be able to have this surgical strike at the exact moment they came in that would be so little finger it would be so little finger but i don't know exactly how he would have had the foresight to know exactly where to be and when and move his army unless he really does have this teleportation machine which we don't believe he has i don't know how he would have timed that perfectly to get there at that exact moment that's the big twist is that as great as bran stark is becoming at time travel Littlefinger is the time travel master and he is able to just like travel light years ahead throughout westeros yeah well that would be something uh jackie tomeyer wants to know can you walk us through what happens if sansa and Littlefinger actually get married which is what i think he's going to be demanding is this a step up for him and what castle would they command Do you think that that's what Littlefinger is after? Do you think that he is going to propose marriage to Sansa in this episode? Does he want to propose marriage to Sansa or does he want to sort of marry Sweet Robin and Sansa? Is there some value there? Because it seems like that he's the person who's sort of the warden of Sweet Robin. And so does he put them together and does he get power out of that? Or does he need to actually be the person who marries Sansa? Well, that, that, you know... 
dissecting that further means like if you're if you're assuming that Littlefinger wants the Iron Throne, then does he actually need his butt on the seat? Or does he just need to have the right butt on the seat? So, like, is he the person who wants to be king of Westeros? Or does he want to be the person whispering in the ear of the king of Westeros? I think to accomplish where he wants to go, I think that he wants to have the right people in power that he sort of has a thumbscrew over where he can get people to be doing him whatever they want. People in the right positions who owe him a favor who are going to always side with him and help him get to his eventual goal. So I don't know if ever that was a thing that Littlefinger was aspiring to of being the person who sits on the throne at Winterfell, or what do they call the throne at Winterfell? Do they call it a throne? I don't know. It's a the, the, very the main, comfy. the captain's chair, the captain's chair at captain's Winterfell. Log. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that he is the person who has bigger goals, and Winterfell is but a pit stop for Littlefinger. I think he would like that pit stop quite a bit, though. I think that that would make him very happy to be the warden of the North. And he's even expressed his desire. He said he said to Cersei last year, he's like, let me go in, kick some butt, let me take out Ramsay Bolton, I'll be Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North. And you can just see, I mean, he's always smirking, so it's like hard to identify the smirks and which ones are more sinister than the others. But you can just see how much that would make him happy to be in charge of Ned Stark's former home. Um, you would think that that wouldn't be fully enough. But that would be a real milestone for them. But I think him saying that to Cersei is that she's like, boy, I can't believe it. Wow, Littlefinger, Warden of the North, who'd have thunk it? And Littlefinger is just like, okay, well, now what's next for me? I don't think he's ever content until he gets to the top. It's the climb. You know what? The climb is everything. Yeah. The climb is all. He loves that ladder. Keep climbing that ladder. Keep climbing. Um, all right, let's talk about Sansa a little bit. Let's take this from Alexander Chester has written in uh, with some theories about Sansa. We were talking about he has this a lot a l- of theories. Lots of theories. Lot, we, we were talking about a little bit of this stuff on the live show. Um, you know, this idea, is Sansa pregnant? Is this something that's going on? Sansa's final scene with Ramsay is very tense. It's a scene where, uh, you know, he says, you, you can't kill me. I'm part of you now. There's earlier in the season, in Sansa's first scene with Littlefinger this season, where she says, I could still feel what he did to me. So this is sort of exploring that possibility that Sansa might be carrying Ramsay's child. Alexander Chester writes, There have been theories that Sansa could be pregnant for a while now. When she told Littlefinger that she could still feel what Ramsay did to her inside her body, that seemed like a clue. And the conversation between Sansa and Ramsay in the kennels this week seems like further confirmation. Ramsay tells her that even though their time together is at an end, he is part of her now. Do you guys think that Sansa is pregnant? And if so, A, is she planning on killing her own child? Your name will be erased. Your house will be erased, etc. And B, how long does pregnancy last in Planetos? Because it's been a while since Sansa and Ramsay last saw each other before the stannis Ramsay battle at Winterfell, and she isn't showing even a little bit. Okay. Josh, what's your take on this first? My take on it is I could go either way. I hope it's not what's happening. <laughs> yeah. mean, that would be that would be really a very kind of dark place to go, uh, I feel like. Um, but I think that there is room for it to exist, uh, just in terms of, you know, looking at the clues and all of those things that have been established. And this idea of how long does pregnancy last in Planetos because it's been a while since Sansa and Ramsay last saw each other. How long has it been? I don't know that it's been a crazy amount of time. Um and hasn't she also been like knitting her own clothes? Could she be making like a you know maternity <laughs> dress? 
<laughs> yeah. Possible. Um, but then again, she also did like drop from the towers of Winterfell into a snowbank. Yeah. She waded through like deeply freezing cold water. She's been through some physical trauma as well. So I don't know. Again, like I said on the live show, I think that Sansa, if she is pregnant, we have to get a real declarative statement on that in the finale. Otherwise, I'm out on the theory. For me, I was in on the theory more on Sunday night. It felt like a thing that was going to happen. But in the days following the episode, as I've been reading more and more following the episode, I feel like I am out on the Sansa is pregnant theory that there's been a a lot written about this uh, on The Ringer. Uh, Jason Concepcion uh, in his uh, Maester Q&A shoots it down pretty hard and says that there has been so much time that has happened since the events of season five that she would definitely be showing by this point. Uh, Plus, you know, that big drop that she had when she jumped down with Theon. You know, people on uh, Twitter are are, uh, gunning for it pretty hard. Uh, Joanna Robinson, who writes for Vanity Fair, she tweeted this week, if you are spreading the Sansa is pregnant theory today, then you're part of the problem. Oh, boy. (laughs) Apologies. I don't think that Sansa is pregnant. I'm out on this. I think that also, how does Ramsey know that Sansa is pregnant? That is also a good question about this. That's a great question. That's a great question. I don't think so. I think that the I think the possibility exists. I'm not completely saying it doesn't exist. I'm more inclined to certainly hope and think that it's not going to happen. Um, and I was more in on it on Sunday night as well than I am a few days yeah. later. Although to speak to that, there are theories and people in, I think, the Game of Thrones fandom who might say that Ramsey potentially also has some special powers, maybe a bit of the green sight, and maybe that's why he is able to do some of the things that he is able to do and always why he is always uh, seemingly able to get the jump on characters. I'm not going down that rabbit okay. hole. <laughs> I'm not going down that raven hole, that three-eyed raven hole. I'm out. Yes, out yes. That. Okay. That. All right, here's another thing on Sansa. This is from D-Money. D-Money says, hey, guys, chew on this. What do we know about Jon Snow? He's an honorable man and plays by the rules. Why didn't Sansa tell him about her plan to call in the Knights of the Vale? Because she knew that Jon would just line them up against Ramsay's forces and prepare to fight a fair-pitched battle. She obviously knew that Ramsay doesn't play by any rules, and she obviously knew that Jon would be compelled to play fair, and in doing so would get everyone killed. So what did she do? She held back the Knights of the Vale who were summoned and in waiting nearby, didn't tell Jon about her plan, and then called them into battle at the right time to save John's hide. Would love to hear your thoughts on this theory. So the theory is that Sansa thought John would say, hey, that's not fair if reinforcements come because we didn't tell Ramsey that Knights of the Vale are coming? No, I think the idea is, oh, sweet, reinforcements. Let's just line them up with the rest of the army. And like the same exact thing that happened before would happen again. It's just like John would not utilize the Knights of the Vale correctly. No, I don't think that that's the case. I mean, Sansa even tells John, I don't know a lot about battles. And if that's the case, then she doesn't know exactly what John is doing and how it's going to line up and then how it's exactly going to fail she just knows he's going to set a trap for you you're going to fall into it if you don't listen to me so i don't think that she had that kind of foresight i just that 
I watched that scene again and he's like, well, what do you want me to do? And she's like, I don't know. She could have said something. She could have said something. There's, there's no good reason why Sansa, that don't give Sansa too much credit. Sansa deserves a lot of credit for things, but just don't turn her into this all knowing three eyed Sansa Raven that she knew how everything was going to happen. And this was all part of her plan, which was executed perfectly. But I want her to be Queen in the North and Lord Commander of the Night's Watch and become the three-eyed Sansa. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, well, she's trending in that direction. <laughs> I don't know. I want her to be all of these things. I also want her to become a faceless man. She should have said something. She should have said her something. To, I want her to zigzag across She's still the great. She's still wonderful. We're all still fansas, but she should have okay. said something to John. Okay. All right. Uh, lots of people mad about Jon Snow for a bunch of things. This is the big one. Let's take this from Jack from Maryland again. Hey, Robin Josh. It's Jack from Maryland. My question this week is pretty simple. Where was Ghost? Just one one time, I like to see him on the battlefield with John ripping some heads off. Do you think he wasn't there simply because of budgetary reasons, or do you think John really left him at Castle Black? Thanks, guys. Yeah, just one one time. One, one time. One, one more time. All right. Where was Ghost? Why was Ghost not here? Where did this... Where, we've gone wrong with Ghost. We've been... Ghost is missing. This is not fun. Yeah, it's not fun. Do you I, think John got the memo that it's been a bad year for Direwolves? I think so. I think that once Ramsey threw out Shaggy Dog's head, I think that John said, you know what, Ghost? Maybe, stay yeah, stay back on this one. <laughs> Frankly, it could have been Ghost. He's like, you know what? I'm good on this one. Don't don't like your odds here. Uh, I've you know I don't feel my siblings anymore. I feel like they're gone. I think I'm just gonna chill out here on the sideline. I mean, we don't know where Melisandre was during all of this. We don't know where Sansa is for most of the battle. So it's possible that he was staying back with them. Yeah, and just like guarding the base. Yeah. I know that Rob used to bring uh, his direwolf into battles with him, but I, I just don't know necessarily how much of a help Ghost is going to be with, you know, whole guys on horses, people with spears. Seems like a real suicide mission for him. Yeah, I mean, if, um, you know, Summer couldn't handle, like, five zombies, I feel like Ghost would be in trouble in an army of humans. People with shields. Just seems like a bad spot for the direwolf. That feels like I just insulted Summer, and I feel really bad about it. No. I feel like it was more than five zombies, and but it really did happen very fast. Summer <laughs> could have done like a little bit better, you think? You would think so. It would have been cool to see Ghost there. I was on record. I feel like if Ghost had eaten Ramsey's face off, that would have been really great. That would have been the best, but he was eaten by his own dogs, and I don't know exactly what Not the symbolism Ghost. is there. Yeah, yeah, no. Ghost, look, he's Ghost is back. Ghost is at Winterfell now. He's he's good. He, we, a ghost is in Winterfell once again. Uh, one one is dead. Hobo Monkey says one one is dead. Are there more giants, or is he the last of his race? Yeah, Josh, uh, you could probably speak to this more than I can, but from what I understand, he is presumed to be the last of the giants, and I feel like maybe he is the last of the male giants. Um, yeah, I believe that he's it. You know, they often talk to him about, you know, the last of the giants. So I think we're probably, maybe Game of Thrones lost its giant budget in creating Battle of the Bastards. They're like, we got to kill one one here. We're not going to be able to, to keep this up. This really does complicate things, though, in a fairly significant way for us, Rob. I thought that this year, you know, even before this episode, coming into Battle of the Bastards, I already was thinking that the most contested category at the Throners this year 
was going to be the Hodor Award for Excellence in Hodor. Given that in season five, the reigning champion of that category was 1-1. So 1-1 is the reigning champion, but I really thought that he would just get screwed over by all of the hold the door stuff, uh, or even by Willis. Um, Now 1-1, I feel like, is once again, like there's a lot of reason to consider 1-1 a big contender. Don't you think this is going to be the biggest category at the Throners this year? Certainly the in-memoriam segment will be supersized this year. Yes, yes. As will this category. It'll be giant. (laughs) Yeah. Boy, how could we lose both 1-1 and Hodor in the same season? They don't like us. Yeah. You know, somebody somebody out there does just does not care for what we do. Yeah. Damn the old gods and the new. Yeah. There's just one person, only one person who does not enjoy this. Right. And they were coming for us. Uh, all right. Robert Craig says, what do you think is next for Jon Snow? He's no diabolical super genius when it comes to strategy on the battlefield. Nope. He isn't just basically a badass. He's a full tilt badass. Do you think the other houses in the north are going to support Jon and Sansa? Or do they have more battles in their future? And what is more likely, Sansa as ruler of Winterfell or Jon as king of the north? Would love to hear your thoughts. So what is the next move for Jon Snow now that Winterfell is his? Is he going to be lord of the north? Is he going to be lord of Winterfell, warden of the north, king of the north, anything like that? Or are there other battles to fight before he can solidify that thing? Do we have to have another fight amongst the people in the north? I would say probably not. No, I don't know if we're going to have another battle in the North. I wonder if then people are just going to sort of just bend the knee to the Starks and maybe whatever Knights of the Vale are around. They need to just like whip the car Starks into shape and just get them either wipe them out or get them back to doing what they're supposed to be doing. The interesting thing to me now is are we presuming that Sansa is going to be the uh, BMOC of the North now? The BMOC, yeah, uh, the or I should say the uh, the the BWOC, big woman on campus now. Oh. Uh, queen. So let's say, okay, hypothetically, okay, so she's queen in the north. Uh, we've seen where Roos Bolton as warden of the north has the authority that he can make his bastard Ramsey into Ramsey Bolton. So does Sansa, if she is truly now uh, either queen in the north or wardeness of the north, can she turn Jon Snow legitimate? And if she does so, does she then lose her claim to the north? But she kind of has to legally become, you know, wardeness of the North. You know, like she has to become the the official lady of Winterfell because that's what, you know, the Boltons were deputized by the Baratheons. You know, Baratheons in quotes. It's the Lannisters. Um, but they, and as much as you don't have, you don't have to like their reign, but they are officially the rulers of the realm. But you they're dead. Ima- but they, a lot of them are, but Tommen is still out there, and you can't imagine Tommen is going to be the person who's deputizing Sansa to be the new person in charge. Is it just going to be that the North is kind of sort of lawless and just by default sort of on its own because of the way that things shook out? That seems probable to me that these people, you know, the Starks are going to say, yeah, we're the Starks, we're in charge, this is Winterfell, we're back, and we are, you know, we are the Lord and or Lady of the North. Um, but I think in terms of the official capacity, I think that there's still room to challenge it. I don't think that it'll be challenged forever, but I think in the near term, I think that's why it's going to be a little dicey, or at least part of the reason why it's going to be dicey. But it seems to me that Sansa, she sets up shop back here at Winterfell, and she's sort of the person in charge there, where John takes whatever forces he has left and now is going to head back north to meet the Night's King at the pass, right? Doesn't that seem like they're on a collision course for the wall? Does he get a day off? No. No days off. Well, here, I will say, 
day off to go into the crypts of Winterfell and somehow uh, tie back into Tower of Joy. Okay. That's what I think. I like that. So uh, at least a morning off. All right. Morning off. Yeah. So he gets breakfast in bed that day? Breakfast in crypts. (laughs) Is that like crepes? Yes. Yes. Crepes. Crepes for breakfast. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I think Ghost is like going up to like some of the statues. It's like, (laughs) what's what's that, boy? What's that? Uh, And I think that maybe at the same time, we're getting some brand flashback action. And I think that uh, then uh, for whatever reason, then, okay, now we have to go back to the wall. Okay. All right. I could deal with that. That sounds like back. Yeah. That sounds like a good adventure to me. Yeah. I like that. Uh, So we'll see where everything is going. How about this? Also from Robert Craig. Now that the battle for Winterfell is over, where are the wildlings going to go? A lot of them were taken out in the battle, but the remaining ones have to go somewhere. Tormund seems to have become Jon's right hand man. Do you think they might stick around as part of Jon's army? Uh, you would think that they're still going to be sticking around until this whole White Walker situation is figured out. Right. And maybe we get the Brotherhood Without Banners to meet up at Winterfell also because they seem to be also moving north. So I think that we're just sort of going to regroup this week. And then maybe this episode ends with our forces leaving Winterfell to go meet the Night's King. Yeah, uh, I could see that. I, I mean, I think that we're, you know, we're in that part of the story now. We're in that moment where we really got to be looking at how to take out the White Walkers. Now that the North is settled-ish at the very least, uh, I think we got to be looking at that as the very next step. I think that the big wrinkle in there is Littlefinger. Uh, you know, he's uh, it's hard to figure out how he fits in all of this with John seemingly having a pretty cut and dry, clear cut thing to do. The last time a Stark had a very, you know, cut and dry, clear cut thing to do, that guy lost his head because of Littlefinger. So that's my big question is how does he factor into John's plan to go up against the White Walkers next? How about Sam and Gilly? Could we see them up at Winterfell by this week's episode? You know, I'm kind of expecting that. Uh, it had only been, you know, they've only been in two episodes this mm-hmm. season. They were supposedly going to Old Town. Then Sam decides to steal his dad's Valyrian sword and take Gilly with him. Um, and he wasn't going to leave Gilly in Old Town because, like, she couldn't come to the Citadel with him. So is he just going to say, screw it, we're not going to do Old Town at all. Let's just go straight back to the wall and he's going to show up there. I wouldn't be shocked. I kind of, you know, I would throw up my hands a little bit and be like, why did we do all of that? What was the point of that other than to get this Valyrian sword that's a long way to go for some Valyrian steel? So that sword better be pretty awesome in the war to come. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't be shocked if we see Samuel in the finale and he is hanging out with Jon Snow again. It just feels like to me that we're going to start to get this party grouping together at Winterfell with the let's get all our Valyrian steel swords back in the picture. Let's get Brienne. Let's get the Hound. Let's get Sam. Let's get everybody else who was moving north anyway. Let's get them all in one place. Uh, wouldn't be surprised, I feel like, to have Arya pop into Winterfell in the finale as well. Yeah, I was going to ask, you think Arya could be there? Oh, I think so. I think Arya walking back into Winterfell, I think, is probably one of the last things we see in season six. Wow. Man, we should do like a predictions Homecoming. draft. Homecoming. We should do a prediction, predictions draft. You know, we always do the death draft, but I'd love to like, just like, what's going to happen in the finale? And if we're right, we get points. You want to do it at the end? You want to do it now? Yeah, we could do it right now. Let's do it right now. I'm fired up. Let's do it right okay. now. Okay. All right. So, all right. So let me get, then can I take my, my first uh, shot there and say Arya returns to Winterfell, number yeah. one on my prediction board? 
Arya returns to Winterfell, number one on the prediction board. I like that. Uh, that's number one. Number one for me is Daenerys is heading toward Westeros. Seems like everybody is is on the move. So uh, Danny to Westeros on the prediction board. Uh, prediction number two for me. We're not doing a Sand Snake draft? Oh, sorry about that. Sorry, because all right, you go, you go. It would be my turn. Yes. Uh, and I would say Cersei's going to do something cray with wildfire. Okay, Cersei is cray cray. Cersei plus wildfire equals the happening. Are you sticking with uh, Tom and dying because of this? Um, I would be, yeah, I would, I would imagine. That's that not Tom part of this prediction. I'm just no, saying. No, 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 no. I just I feel like, yeah, I feel like Tom done this season. I mean, it's got to happen really soon. Why not this year? Okay, got to happen soon. I feel like we're going to have something going on with Dorn in this finale. Oh, man. Is, is that, can I, can I make that as a prediction? Yeah, you can make that as a prediction. I hope you're wrong. Okay. I, I, but I just feel like that we set this up in the premiere. We haven't seen it all season. I feel yeah. like that the uh, something is happening here with Dorn. And then uh, I get to go well, one more time in the Sand Snake draft. And I'll say, is it two on, Tower of Joy? Is that, is that two on the nose? No, you could say Tower okay. of Joy. Yeah, we're, we're getting that. All right, we're getting that. We all know what that is. If you don't, you can Google it. Okay. Uh, and I'll say Sir Robert Strong is going to kill somebody. Okay. Anybody? Like if he just kills like a red shirt? Yeah, I think that counts. Okay. All right. Robert Strong kills somebody. That, that feels easy. Boy, this is a pretty jam-packed episode if we get all this. Oh, it'd be great. Greatest <laughs> episode of all time. <laughs> yeah. Where's that on the rank, top 60 rankings? <laughs> That's going to be number seven. Wow. Okay. Well, I don't know. Huge, that was just a guess. Huge just predictions guess. all the way around. Okay. Total guess. Uh, all right. A couple of last quick things in the North. Let's eulogize the two R's that we lost in this episode. Mike Bloom, our good friend Mike Bloom, writes in, Could you pick a moment where Ramsey went wrong, killing his parents and his half-brother, Writing the boastful letter to John, assuming he did indeed write it. I think we can assume that. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking the deal that Littlefinger offered him and spitting on it on his wedding night. What do you think was the inciting incident that led to Ramsay becoming a human version of a begging strip? Difficult to answer this question because that it did seem as though he was sort of put in this corner by his father. Where Roose Bolton really antagonized him to the point of like, I've got an heir. I don't need you anymore. Right. And I think that he did sort of bring this on himself. I think that Roos made a good point of, uh, you know, we have Winterfell. We don't need to go out there and attack other people that we could withstand any siege. John only had 3,000 men. So you would have felt like that maybe he might have been okay. But it seemed like he might have been drawing dead this whole time. Yeah, it was, you know, and also probably just the whole, like, being the worst person thing. Yeah, yeah. That's probably not great. Right. You know, maybe had uh, he not been such a lunatic, then maybe there would have been a place for him in Roos's kingdom, Uh perhaps. Although, that being said, that it was his insanity where he took out the people at Moat Kalin, which sort of led Roos to uh, legitimize him in the first place. Right, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I think that Ramsey was probably just ill-fated no matter what. And good riddance, honestly. <laughs> My sister, who uh, was admittedly a Ramsey fan, uh, said he was Whoa. the best character on the show. Oh, uh, man. I texted her to see how she was doing. She said even she had had enough of his antics. Okay. All the right, one Ramsey fan out there had said, yeah, yeah, I'm over him. 
Yeah, we got it. We got the full picture here. Yeah. Uh, and how about Rick on Stark? Let's pour one out for Rick on Stark. I saw a lot of chatter in the comment section on our live show. A lot from Susan Appleby, uh, who says, I feel Josh and Rob underreported the tragic murder of a child and their excitement to discuss the battles. Rick on's death is definitely going to matter to the story. Um, what do you think in terms of the lasting legacy of Rick on? Any eulogy for Rick on you have, Rob? Not sure if it's going to really matter to the story. I mean, it's very sad but i feel like that his loss to me is just sort of downplayed by the fact that i think we all felt like he was gonna die i did not feel at any point that rickon had a good chance of coming out of this scenario alive because just in terms of the secession he screws everything up right yeah i mean look i think that even sansa calls it you know sansa's like yeah rickon's not getting out of this alive uh, so even the characters in universe are like, there's a very unlikely shot here that Rickon is going to make it. Um, so the writing's on the wall for a good little while, even like the people who were hoping that there was some conspiracy surrounding handing Rickon over to Ramsey from, you know, from the jump, the case was very thin on the show that there was any sort of support system in place, especially when OSHA's murdered in like the very next episode. It's like, yeah, no one is really looking out for Rickon here. Um, so that sucks. It's unfortunate. It sucks to lose another Stark. Yeah. There's some symmetry here. You know, the eldest Stark sibling is dead, and now the youngest Stark sibling is dead. Both of their direwolves lost their heads. Um, both of them killed by Boltons. So there is some symmetry there. So I think that that's, you know, I like that in terms of the storytelling. I do think it's a bummer to be down one more Stark. I hope that that's it. I hope that the other Starks are okay because I love those people. It would be a real tragedy to lose those characters. But it sucks to lose this one as well. In terms of what's going to, you know, what the impact is going to be, um, I don't think that we will hear much about Rickon specifically outside of we've lost so much. You know, like I feel like right. that's going to be something we'll hear a lot about. But I did overlook this for half a second, and Susan Appleby rightly pointed this out again in the comments. Um, I think Rickon's death is going to matter in terms of who is the heir to Winterfell. The ruler of Winterfell is going to be crucial to the story going forward. Um, and that's something that you and I have already been wrestling with here on the podcast. Is like, is it going to be John? Is Sansa going to be in charge? Is it somebody else? That question isn't even a question if Rickon survives this thing. He's the lord of Winterfell, no questions asked. Um, so the question of who is in charge in the North that's probably the biggest immediate legacy of Rickon's death outside of the this really sucks, our brother is dead, which is also a very big deal. We've talked about quite a bit the appearance of plot armor where different characters, we say, okay, well, we know Jon Snow's not dead because he has to do this. We know Arya's not going to die because she has this plot armor. What is the opposite of plot armor? <laughs> and did Rickon have whatever that is? Uh, the Emperor's new plot armor? <laughs> like plot poison. Yeah. Where you know, the, the, for the story to move on, this person is definitely going to die because they right. are screwing things up by being alive. Yeah, so I mean, it was just the writing was on the wall with the character, I think. Like, that person needed to be removed in order for the story to move in the way that the story very clearly wants to move in. And you interviewed Rick on this week, right? Yeah, this is my second time chatting with young Art Parkinson. How did he do? He's a good kid. Yeah. Nice guy. How old is he in real life? He's like 14. 14, yeah. Young lad. Yeah, uh, but boy, he's a, a big kid, though. Big guy, yeah, big 14-year-old for sure. He's also, about Ramsey's height, yeah, right? Yeah, well, Ramsey, uh, that well, we could say from seeing him in person, uh, was not exactly Shaquille O'Neal. No, but at 14 years old to be that height, that's, you know, that's like what, like 5'7", five, 5'8"? Five, right, so he did come Pretty across bad. as older, I think, than being next to Ramsey. 
He's doing good. And yes. I mean, look, I'm 5'6". I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not standing on stilts over here. <laughs> okay. Sitting down. Yeah, what are you, chair. Tammy Layton there? Yeah. Yeah, Okay. exactly. <laughs> so, took me a minute, but got that. Yeah. All right. Uh, some other business to wrap up. I mean, really, the only other thing that happens in the episode is Danny kicking some butt in Meereen. Um, worth talking about here. This is from Daniel Strunk. Just looking at the numbers, how could Danny not conquer Westeros? She has a Dothraki super horde. She has the Iron Fleet, the Unsullied, and three full-grown dragons combined with Tyrion and Yara's council. If Varys is, in fact, going to Dorne and succeeds in rallying them, she's also going to have one of the least scathed and historically powerful of the Seven Kingdoms. On top of this, the great families of Westeros are fractured, making it unlikely that they'd be able to unite against her, nor would the small folk likely even want to, given that they probably heard good things about Danny and might even be inclined to remember the Targaryens more fondly after post-rebellion instability. That said, I feel as though most, myself included, have an intuitive sense that Danny is not going to come out of all of this victorious. What's going to happen to cause her demise? Would the Night King be Danny's undoing? As Littlefinger stated, if war were, were arithmetic, the mathematicians would rule the world. Something's got to give. So a lot to unpack there, and I think the first piece of it is... It really does look great for Danny right now, numbers wise and winner edit wise. That was a great episode for Danny. Yeah, I mean, Danny does always have these big moments and uh, she appears to be on her way. And you're right that between the Lannister army is fractured and we have, I guess, the Tyrell army is out there. But really, like what armies are in Westeros that are going to put up a fight against uh, what Danny is coming at them with? Right. So she's got so much going for her, but do you buy this idea that Daniel floats that there's this intuitive sense that Danny will not come out of all of this victorious? Or, Rob, is your instinct that Danny's going to win this thing and we're just watching that path to victory? I do feel like that at some point Danny is going to have a little bit of an about face because she is getting a little bit of the Mad King tendencies where a little bit of like, okay, telling Tyrion, okay, we're going to crucify them. You know, on one hand, she's like, hey, Yara, no more raping, no more pillaging. But to her enemies, she is, uh, seems like she's still getting a good hate into. And I wonder if we're going to get to the end of our story with Danny just extracting horrible revenge on all of her enemies or if she will sort of like have a moment where she's sort of like uh, like maybe we can just be a more peaceful people so you think that she could be her own worst enemy in a way yeah i always felt like that daenerys was going to be able to be somebody who could lead by making her people love her and she sort of come to an about face on that where she needs to have everybody fear her and that's the only way that she can sort of have her power and i feel like that i don't know how successful that's going to be yeah all right one final question let's take this voicemail jace from alberta as we're closing up battle of the bastards and looking forward to the winds of winter hey guys jason calling from Granbury, alberta Traditionally, Game of Thrones uses episode 9 as the big climactic episode, and then episode 10 as the kind of wrap-up loose ends episode. But judging by the way that uh, Jon Snow and Daenerys' stories were wrapped up so neat and tidy last night, I'm wondering if we're even going to see them next week, or if they're going to spend episode 10 wrapping up other storylines. If you agree, who do you think we're going to see next week? My guess is for sure the Lannisters, probably both. Um, I'm going to say Arya, and I'm hoping to see Bran. Uh, Hope not to see Dorne, but I don't know why they would have put Dorne in the premiere episode if we're not going to see them at least once more in the season. So who knows? But I'd love to hear what you guys think. Thanks. Bye. 
think we're going to see everybody, right? I mean, you I think hope- every single story? Yeah. I mean, 67 minutes or whatever, supersized finale, I think we are going to see everybody that we've seen this season. I think even Sam and Gilly. All right, so how about this? Uh, let's add to our draft. You ready? Ready. We each pick one storyline that we are thinking is the least likely to get checked in on here in the finale. Something that we've seen previously yeah. in season six that yeah. we will not go back to. And could I say like, uh, oh, uh, Jack and Hagar in the House of Black and White? Or is that like the book you is You absolutely closed? could say that. No, you could okay. say that that's the Bravo story. That was a big story this year. Okay. All right. I, I mean, I feel like that, that is a no-brainer. No way we're going back to Jack in on Sunday. Okay, so we're done with Bravos, you would say. Yeah, I mean, Arya left. I feel like that it would be very odd to go back to the Faceless Men storyline after this point. Yeah, I think that's probably the best bet on the table. I guess pro- for me, maybe Jorah. I don't think that we would get a Jorah Mormont check-in necessarily. Yeah, that's a good one. I don't think that we're going to get a hit, an update on him looking for the cure to grayscale. I think he'll be a part of season seven, but I don't think that necessarily that we're going to uh, check in with him. Yeah, like Danny's going to get stranded in Westeros or like beyond the wall and a bunch of ice monsters are going to come and try to kill her and then Jorah's going to show up and he's like kind of cold hands-ish himself. He's like, this is the cure to grayscale. I found it. I'm here. Yeah. Let's be friends again. And that's like going to be like 10 episodes from now. So lots to see on Sunday night. Can't wait. Highly anticipated finale of Game of Thrones season six. I'm very excited. The long excited night indeed. is coming, but we do have the cure for what the dark night, which is uh, long and full of terrors. So, and very dark as well. So dark. So dark. Uh, Josh, the Throners are coming. It's award season. It's award season. I'm so excited. The Throners, maybe my favorite podcast we do every year. Uh, DJ Sammy Slayer has been texting me nonstop. Obviously, he's very bored. Hasn't had a lot to do recently. Yeah, a lot of downtime. A lot of downtime for that guy. He's very amped up for the Throners. So the Throners will be coming very shortly after Game of Thrones wraps up. I believe Rob Voting is going to open up for the Throners like the very next day. Wow. uh, Right after the finale. Wow. So look out for that. Huge turnarounds from Game of Thrones season six. Well, it'll be very top of mind for everybody. It's going to be the biggest Throners yet. The third annual Throner Awards coming this Sunday night in our finale podcast. Uh, We will get you guys that link. And then the voting is coming next week. Sounds like a plan. Wow. Wow. This is huge. I needed this. We needed this. Okay. Josh, what's the hashtag? Oh, man. Do you have any good contenders? Uh, Plot poison. Plot poison is good. I had sand snake draft. Sand snake draft. Uh, Let's go with uh, our sand snake draft. How about that? Okay. Okay. All right. So that's going to do it for us here. Of course, uh, Josh has the Game of Thrones book club coming with the great Terry Schwartz. That's coming up here on post show recaps as well as our finale this Sunday night. Plus, Mr. Robot revisited uh, Josh Wiggler and Antonio Mazzara. Where are you guys at in the Mr. Robot of it all? We are recording episode seven soon. We're going to be picking up the pace in a minute here, but we are very close to the return of season two on July 13. So we are going to be carrying straight through once that picks up. And that's going to be really fun. I think that we've hit a really great stride with our Mr. Robot podcast. Plus, Taylor Cotter and Jessica Lease are back to cover Orange is the New Black. They have podcasts coming as well on postshowrecaps.com and much, much more. As Orange... Orange, you glad that they are podcasting about Orange is the New Black? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, my, I that's my joke. Yeah. That's Ar- what I'm here for. Orange is the New Black Walder? Yes. Okay. Blackwater. 
Yeah. All right. So a lot to get into here on post show recaps. Uh, looking forward to reading your comments. Also, uh, hope you subscribe to the podcast. If not now, then when? Postshowrecaps.com slash GOT iTunes and uh, follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter for all sorts of great stuff that he's doing here on Post Show Recaps and for The Hollywood Reporter. He's at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Sistrino. Take care, everybody. Bye.